good. I'm Chip. I'm a student. This is Joel and Vic. Um, man, that is awesome. That's a, that's a tough act to follow. Why should we gain from his reward? We cannot give an answer, but this we know with all our heart. His wounds have paid our ransom. That's, that's good news, y'all. Um, I, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm in a really good mood this morning. Um, hearing what God is doing in Nepal has me super excited, and I'm just going to be really selfish here. My little sister got baptized at the 1015 service, and um, that was awesome to see. Um, so uh, it's great to see how God is at work in all different areas of our church, from college to youth to kids to adult Sunday school. Um, that said, I'm aware not everyone is on cloud nine this morning. Um, some of us may have had a more difficult Saturday than others. So mm. I did want to ask if <laughs> it was a good game, but I wanted to ask if you felt like you had recovered from, yeah, uh, it yeah. was tough. Yeah, I, I'm an Auburn grad, by the way. We pray for him. Man, that was a long pause of just nothing. I think people are, people are trying to decide now if they're going to stay. Um, we, we've got you two to one. Well, that's true. I, well, I, I, LSU's good. That's true. I, and, and that's a hard place to play because it's loud. Yeah. A lot of crowd noise. There were several penalties yesterday about crowd noise. Um, do you know where the loudest place is, by the way? Outdoor stadium. Anybody know? I know. You, you know, because I told you Because this you told me this morning. <laughs> so, uh, it's actually Arrowhead Stadium. One person is shocked huh. by that. Um, so, in 2014, they, they measured the crowd there at an eardrum bursting 142 decibels. That's insane. Yeah. The Packers are playing the Chiefs tonight, and yeah. they've been practicing all week with like, like noise inside their practice facility at like 150 decibels, just in case they right. break that record. Um, but the, certain places have reputations for crowd noise. Mm -hmm. And um, Christians, we have our own kind of crowd noise, right? And uh, James is going to tell us uh, in the text we look at today that there is uh, there's some acceptable crowd noise, and then there's some crowd noise that we should not be known by. And so uh, we're going to look at that. What is our crowd noise? What do, does the speech we use and the words we use say about us as Christ followers? So we're going to... We're going to look at uh, what it means to use, again, James, James really cares about our words, mm. right, and yeah. how we use them, and uh, what do they say about us. He does say it matters, so uh, we're going to, I'm going to read our text, and then we're just going to, we're going to jump in here. If you will, open your Bible, said James 4. That's, that's, I just like getting to say No, it. that's good. That's good. We believe you should look and see what we're saying in the text, so. Yes. So, chapter 4, verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? 
Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills and we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Chapter 5, verse 1, Come now, you rich, and weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So we're going to look at basically three parts this morning, and you'll see if in your Bible, most Bibles have headlines, uh, subject lines, and uh, they sort of split up the three sections. And we're going to be talking about this idea of how we make noise as Christians uh, through our words. In fact, you can go back to James 2 and, and, and start with this idea of how faith without works is dead. And really, from that point on, James is, is hammering how we use our words. So he's saying, if, if uh, you don't have works that accompany your faith, your faith is dead. And one of the main ways in which you show your faith is the way in which you speak. Yeah. That's so important. So if uh, he moves into chapter three and talks about taming the tongue, how no man has ever tamed the tongue. And then we get to chapter four and he talks about there's quarrels and fights among you. You're, you're fighting back and forth with your words. And now in verse 11, we begin with this idea of evil noise, that, we're, that, that within the church, people are speaking evil against one another. And you, you think about in, in Christian circles, just playing on this idea of crowd noise, like when you walk up into a normal Christian conversation, what is the subject matter of it? Mm. What's it sound like? What's the attitude of it? What's coming out of our mouths collectively? Is it, is it uh, evil, like James is, is telling us not to do, or is it uh, glorif- glorifying to God? And, and that's a tough question for us to ask each other, I think. So, question for both of you, I haven't thought about this until this very moment. Uh, That's uh, always good. It's always good. Um, Do you think James is, uh, when he says don't speak evil against the person, there seems to be this uh, idea that maybe the other person's not present. (laughs) Mm. When, uh, if you think about, sometimes as Christians we share prayer requests. Yeah. We want to pray for other people yeah. as a way of slandering them. Or it can be the opposite, too. I'm sorry, was that out loud? We, 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 we think it can be fine if we say it to their face. Mm. 
Like, well, well, well I, I said it to their face, so yeah. I'll say it here. Yeah. yeah, I'm bold enough to say it to their face. Right, right. <laughs> I must make it acceptable. Like, so, I mean, because that's the thing is he doesn't break it down. When we speak evil against one another, whether it's to their face, whether it's away from them, it's the same. It's, it's evil. And, and I, would, I would just, James is so practical and so pastoral here. I would just really ask you, will you examine your life? Because the implications of this are wide-reaching. Uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, on mm. Facebook. What is our, what is our noise? Yeah. When, on, on the basketball court and the soccer field, what is our noise? When we meet for small groups and tribes, what is our noise? When we get together to have dinner or when we're at the dining halls, what is our noise? James in chapter two, he gives us a category of um, people who are doers of the law or people who are deceived. He doesn't say people who are doers of the law and people who aren't doers of the law. He said either you do the law or you think you do the law, but you actually don't. And so I would just ask yourself, are you someone who is obedient to this Mm -hmm. word of not speaking evil against your brother? Or are you someone who has failed to examine yourself? And I think there are plenty of times that I fall into the latter category. It's interesting because just to give you a little more context, if you were with us last week and, and you followed along the progression of starting in chapter four, we began chapter four, we worked through the first 10 verses, six through 10 tell the believer to, to um, humble themselves. God opposes the prideful, uh, but gives grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. And he says, mourn and weep. And so if you're in a position of humility, it's kind of interesting that James now starts off with this idea of do not speak evil against one another, because really, the two can't go together. If you're in a position of humility, of understanding who you are before God, then you'll, you will not speak out against someone, in fact. And, and if you're sp- speaking against a brother or judging a brother, he says you speak evil against the law and judge the law. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he equates you speaking against your brother's with speaking against the law and putting yourself as a judge over the law. Really, what he's saying is here that you are assuming the throne, mm-hmm. a, a, a place which is, uh, for the Christian, it's already occupied, mm-hmm. right? We, we have a king. His name is Jesus. We don't need to try to get up on the throne. But, but he, James is saying when you speak against a brother, what you're doing is you're assuming the position That's of right. God, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I think, Joel, your point of, of reminding us of the passage we've just come out of. We've just uh, covered last week 4, 1 through 10, and, and it talks about God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's scary to have God oppose us. Uh, but it's, it's this whole exposition of, of what pride exhibits. But when we humble ourselves, when we, when we mourn over our sin, it says God draws near to us. He gives more grace. And, and so I'm gonna give you kind of the cheat code for interpreting the text that we're working through today. We are painting the response of the humble person and the noise that they exhibit mm. versus the prideful person and the noise that they exhibit. So what is, what is the noise that comes from a prideful person? Well, it tells us they speak against a brother or judge their brother and speak evil against the law and judge the law. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And so, so what's going on here is when you know that there is a command to, uh, in the New Testament to only say what is useful for building up, to not let there be any crude joking among you, when you know that uh, sarcasm should, should not be characteristic of your speech, and you go, 
yeah, but I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, I know I'm not supposed to, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of like to, and so I'm going to run with it. <laughs> what you're doing there is there is a pride underneath that, yeah. and you are saying, I know the law, I know what it says, but I'm here. Mm. I am putting myself above the law. I am, I am judging the law. I'm looking at the law and say, I know better. Or I'm looking at my brother and I'm saying, yeah, if only you had the wisdom I had. There's a pride underneath this. And I think we'll see the same vein running throughout the rest saying, of the verses. You're saying it so far as to say that you know better than God. Mm. And it's the same sin there that was in the garden. Mm. When, mm. And when Eve and Adam took the fruit, they said, no, we know we're not supposed to do this. But after listening to serpent and after uh, hearing our reasoning here, no, I think we know better than God in this situation. There is only one <laughs> lawgiver and judge. It, in, it's taken. Yes. yes. So James, taken. James throws that in there. And then he says, uh, who are you to judge your neighbor? That's basically James' way of saying, who made you God? Mm. Yeah. Uh, and the reality is you make yourself that. once you assume that position. So this idea of speaking against a brother, slandering a brother, it's just, it has no place in the, if we have that reputation, if that's the crowd noise reputation we have, it's just wrong. Let's just clarify this too, because this is a good question that somebody texted in. It says, I feel like brothers is talking about other Christians. What about non-Christians? So is this included in Christians and non-Christians? I, certainly, in, in the context of the church, we should not slander one another or judge one another or speak evil against one another. And um, Paul actually says in Corinthians, uh, don't judge those outside. Mm-hmm. What, what do I have to do with judging those outside the church? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it not those inside the church I'm supposed to judge? Yeah. And I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. You just told us not to judge. And Paul says to judge. It's a whole long thing we may get into. We may not. Save I, that for the podcast. Yes, we'll save that for the podcast. I, I just think you need to be characterized by the same kind of speech right. that Jesus was characterized right. by. And Jesus attracted the broken, marginalized, just the worst people. Yeah. And, and so if, if your speech is characterized by the same kind of speech that Jesus was characterized by, I think you'll be okay. And, and I do think he's, it sounds like he's speaking specifically to the conversation within the church. I think this right. obviously applies to outside of the church and, and the noise with which we, we talk about non-believers and things yeah. like that. But we see uh, earlier in James that he says, if a brother comes in in need, you meet those needs. Yeah. So James is talking about dissent and controversy within the church. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that shouldn't be there. So there is this primary allegiance that belongs to the way we speak and care for others within the church. Kind of in the family kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. And let me add one more idea to this conversation about judgment. In Matthew 7, 1, Jesus says, judge not that you be not judged for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Here's the problem. When we judge people and we set ourselves up, like he says, and in, in right here in these verses, 11 and 12, we all, when we judge, we do it much differently than Jesus. Uh, we, we set ourselves up as the ones who have a a log in our eye, but a speck in someone else's, right? And, that, and we judge them in that way. Uh, when Jesus judges, 
He does so with mercy. He does so with the cross in view. Mm -hmm. And so we um, set ourselves up uh, as judges. Uh, We are judging the law. We're saying we know better than the law. And the law, James has already told us, is the royal law. It's the law that says love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You're judging that law, and essentially, when you speak evil against someone else, you're being unloving to them. You're breaking the whole idea of loving your neighbor, and Jesus defined who your neighbor was. Your neighbor's anyone in need by the the parable that he told the Good Samaritan. And so, yeah, absolutely, I think it applies um, most, especially within the church, because that's where we start, but then absolutely outside the church as well. Right. So, if you haven't been hit hard enough yet, yeah, it gets, um, it gets better. If you have somehow been unscathed by uh, James's uh, very high bar that he sets for speech, uh, he's about to hit even harder. Brace for impact. Uh, in verses 13 through 17, he moves from talking about uh, people who exhibit their pride by their speech to people who exhibit their pride by how they use their time. And it's really interesting to look at the sentence structure here. Um, so he kind of says, come on, you, come on, y'all. Some of you are saying, today and tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Look at the sentence structure here. I'm gonna do, at some time that I want, today or tomorrow, I'm gonna go somewhere that I want, such and such a town. I'm gonna do it for, I, I'm gonna, hang out for as long as I want, spend a year there, and try to make a profit. I'm gonna do what I want. So th- there's this sense of someone saying, I'm gonna do what I want, when I want, where I want, for as long as I want, and God doesn't factor into my decision making at all. And so <laughs> James is saying, hold your horses there, buckaroo. <laughs> you are a mist that vanishes. What, what is your life? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And, and so, Uh, What James is getting at, you know, there's probably some implications for planning and how we conduct business, but but there's a broader principle here that that the prideful really trust in themselves. They go, I got a test next Monday. I'm going to study Sunday night. I'll probably make an 85 on the test, and that'll get me the bare minimum I need for a B plus, which maintains hope at the University of Georgia, both literally and metaphorically, and uh, and that's my game plan, right? Yep. And so, or, or some of you, uh, you have a job and you have everything planned out. Some of you have grad school and you have everything planned out and God has never factored into your decision-making there. It's, the, it's this idea of presumptuous noise, yep. right? And, and it really, bear with me a little bit here, when he asked this question, what is your life? He's almost asking again, hey, who made you God? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Over your schedule. You, yeah. you are assuming yeah. that you're going to make all these plans and say it again. I'm going to I'm going to do, do what I want, when I want, where I want, for as long as I want. And, and God's not going to factor in. You, you are, again, you're climbing up on the throne, which yeah. is already occupied, mm-hmm. right? You... You can't push God to the side in any of this because what ends up happening, he says this, uh, as it is you boast in your arrogance. There's this idea of the arrogance again. Mm -hmm. Coming in, James says it has no place in the life of a believer. That that we live and fight and win from a position of humility Mm -hmm. as believers. So uh, 
we're often told, and this is very good and very, very important, we're often told you are loved. You are loved because uh, the scripture uh, moves us to this point to know this fact that we are loved by God. But sometimes when we major on that, which is good that we major on that, don't get me wrong in any way in which I'm saying this, uh, we oftentimes forget phrases like this though, for you are missed. So we, we're very good at telling people, for you, you're loved. You are loved. You are loved. And that's good. That's very good. Don't get me wrong. But, but we cannot miss this idea that he's saying, for you are missed. As one author said it, if you wrote an autobiography, uh, you could, that could be your title. You are missed. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was missed. We're here one second and gone the next. And here's the crazy thing, is if you can get this idea that you are missed, that literally... Uh, it showed up on my car like one day. It actually got cold enough to have a little, you know, mist on the windshield mm-hmm. after one night. And I turned on the frost and it was gone in like two seconds because it hadn't been that cold lately. That's, I, I wouldn't have remembered it if, if I hadn't read this. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's, that's our lives. Mm-hmm. That's what he's saying. And if we can get in our minds that that really is our lives, we can wrap our minds around that. Uh, and then how good is it to hear then you are loved? Yeah. Hmm. Because knowing that we're just this tiny uh, speck on the map and knowing we're just this tiny dot in history mm. and then hearing this incredible truth that the God who created all of history, the God who created all the world loves us, then how, how much greater news is that? And, and let, me, let me drive this home a little bit. Uh, if you are approaching this Uh, your life with this humility that we've talked about, then God's sovereignty is gonna be beautiful to you. Because there's one who's not a mist. Mm -hmm. He he does not change. And and he is the anchor even as everything goes wrong in our life. If you're humble, God's sovereignty will be beautiful to you. If you are prideful and you are in control, God's sovereignty will be really annoying to you. I'm just gonna give you a heads up because you're gonna have a plan. And if you have a plan, and, and you're gonna do this, 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 and this, and you're pretty good at studying, or you're pretty good at planning, you're pretty put together, you color coordinate your calendar, <laughs> you've kinda got things figured out, then the most loving thing God can do is to rip all sense of control from you. Because it, it, God cannot tolerate pride and self-sufficiency in our life. That would not be good of him to do. If I can just be really transparent, I'm at a point in my life where I'm trying to figure out where I'm gonna spend grad school for the next four years. And there's a lot of moving parts and stuff. And I'll just tell you, my default tendency is to make spreadsheets and lists <laughs> and talk to people. And, and I, I feel this pressure and I wanna do something. I'll just tell you, my, my initial inclination is not to hit my knees. My initial inclination is to try to control things and grab a hold of them. Hmm, yeah. And God is calling us away from so, that. I have a question. So is James saying, get rid of the day planner. Don't plan, don't, like, mm-hmm. there's no reason. You're a miss. Just say la vie. Yes. Right? Yes. That's Who's what, with me? That's what, Vic is like, this is great. That, somebody, yeah, that's, the, that's kind of how the, I live anyway. The laissez-faire people are so, like, yes, I got planner. a verse. Like, I can, I can hear the day planner people down right. here squirming. Right. They're like, they're like, like there's some... <laughs> 
Yeah. Like there's, there's I need weeping. structure to my life. There's weeping. Right. Like James can't be saying get rid no, of the No, he's saying planner. you can only use two colors instead of like five colors. <laughs> well, color. well, here's here's so the thing. So what is he saying of, about the whole idea of planning? Of course he is, and of course he isn't. Right. Fantastic. So uh, I would say if you, I, I'm a planner person. I have a calendar. I like structure. If that's the natural inclination of your heart, yeah. ask yourself if you have a control problem. Like when things go wrong, do you try to organize? When things go wrong, do you study mm. harder? Because I, I would say I see in my own heart a self-sufficiency problem. Um, we need to be more afa- afraid of self-sufficiency though than we are of insufficiency. Insufficiency leads us to depend on God's grace. Mm-hmm. Self-sufficiency leads good. us to depend on, oh, our, on ourselves. That's good. It's, Did you just come up with that yeah. just right there? More or less. That's yeah. pretty wow. good, boy. That's great. It really does have to do with where God is at in your planning. Uh, because the person who says today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, where's God in that sentence? Mm-hmm. Where is that? And that's why he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord will, wills, right? So it, where is God in your planning? Because have you ever heard the term uh, practical atheist? A practical atheist is someone who claims to like know God, worship God, but then when you look at their planner and you pull it out, God is nowhere to be found. And so if God is nowhere to be found in your plans, as you talk about your future, as you, as if, if prayer isn't a huge part of your planning, then you're going to fall into this trap. It's not about if the Lord wills, it's what you will. And that's, again, we're putting ourselves up on the throne. We've dethroned God and, and uh, made ourselves the God of our lives. And James says you can't do that. All right. And so hopefully you're feeling uh, adequate, <laughs> a- adequately convicted at this point, but I wish it got better. So, so now he moves to this idea of, uh, it's a warning to the rich, actually. And uh, it, it's just, it's not good. Let, let's read these verses again. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver have corroded. Uh, the wages that you owe people, they're crying out. They've reached the, the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived in luxury, self-indulgence. You have basically fattened yourself up for slaughter. That's not good news. Right? And, and it's, it's really bad news if you fall into this particular category. Um, and you may be thinking, what in the world does this have to do with no- crowd noise? Right? Well, I, I think these verses actually give us some context for the whole letter. Uh, we finally, I think, learn who the rich are. It's the religious elite in Jerusalem. Who had the power. Who've got all the power, the money, the, they, they have the vote. Right? They can influence anyone. It would include the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the tax collectors, anybody who has a position and who has um, influence that they can leverage for the good of others. And James saying, you haven't done that. Mm -hmm. In fact, you've taken money from people Mm -hmm. and and that is crying out to the Lord. And, And God cares about those kind of things, those justice things God cares about and you're going you're gonna to pay. There's a penalty to pay for that. Mm-hmm. There's a couple things going on here. What, what we see here is personal sin 
with corporate consequences. Uh, sometimes w with our Western point of view, we tend to be very individualized and just see, wow, these are people who are very individually sinful. And that would be true. Uh, we see four characteristics of them. They are hoarding wealth. They are cheating their workers. They are living in self-indulgence and fattening themselves. And they're condemning the righteous man. Mm. Wow. And we see God's anger against all of them. And it should be sobering. We see God is very upset with personal sin. And, and, it, and it needs to sober us. But that's not the only thing God is upset about here. There is a corporate systemic consequence here. It, it says, verse four, behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, this personal sin, are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. God is angry with the personal sin of these rich people who are abusing their wealth and abusing their power. And his heart is broken by the corporate societal consequences of it. Mm. So God is not just a God who deals with each person individually. He does, and we will all give an account of our individual actions. But God also cares about shalom, about the peace of a whole society. Um, we see this, this concept of shalom, sh shalom and, and uh, corporate righteousness in how the prophets of the Old Testament talk. They talk against a whole people as, as corporately responsible for, for their sins and things. And so, um, if you will, bear with me. The, the term social justice is a really loaded term, right? When I say that, there's probably a whole host of responses and I'm not here to defend social justice as a term or everyone who would maybe align with that. But I don't think we can read a passage like this without coming away with a sense that there is a type of social justice that God cares about immensely. God's heart is broken over the defrauding of these workers. They're oppressed. Um, these funds are basically embezzled. The, these workers signed a contract, were supposed to get their salary, and they didn't get it. And God's heart is angered towards the people who did that and broken for the oppressed and the hurt. Mm. And so our heart needs to do the same. Are you broken over um, wrongdoing and oppression that pushes the marginalized out? Does your heart feel what mm -hmm. the heart of God feels here? Because what we see, if you are prideful and you abuse your wealth and your power here, or you abuse your time and your speech, God opposes the proud. We see here his wrath coming and it should be sobering. But if you are humble, will, will his justice be a comfort to you? Because what we see here is that the cries of the oppressed never go unheard. The, the pain of the afflicted and the marginalized and the poor never fall on deaf ears. God responds, and, and we need to see this, God will be patient with his wrath coming, but he will not be passive. Hmm. And, and so um, I would just ask you to see if you are characterized by a humility that feels what God feels in the face of uh, abuses of power. If you look at the perpetrators here, the rich, we have to remember that this is a warning more than likely to those outside the church, 
James is calling out uh, people who are living a certain way, very likely the Pharisees of the day. Uh, But just as we read through the Gospels and see that happen, and we are forced to ask the question, are we like the Pharisees? So I think we do here as well. We have to ask the question, are we like the rich here? Because many of us in this room have been given a lot of advantages, uh, have been given a lot of opportunities to where we can have our lives play out like this. We can be the rich who need to weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon us. These rich are the people who, just verses before, who've, got, who've said, let's go make a profit, and God's been nowhere, to found, nowhere found in any of those words. And as they've made their profits, they've done so in a way where they have cared about nothing else. They haven't thought about who is working with them. They haven't thought about anyone else's life. They've thought about the bottom line. As Christians, you do not have the luxury to only think of the bottom line. Yeah. As Christians, the only, you know, you, you have to think about many, many other concerns. And they're amassing things. This is what happens in our lives. If, if the flesh takes over in our lives as believers, then you start to amass things, not just to, like, gain a profit, but just to get things. Does that sound like Jesus' warning when he says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for your treasures in heaven where those things don't happen because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Mm. And so you think about it like this, because this, this is hard for me because um, we were talking about someone recently who, who had a closet for a hundred pair of shoes. And I was like, that sounds amazing. I would, I would love to have a hundred pair of shoes in my mm. closet because I'm a shoes sneakerhead type. And, and, and I was thinking that's great, but, but really like a hundred pairs of shoes, like careful. Okay, I'm just. I but know. seriously, I you know, shooting. are you hoarding wealth when, when yeah. you're yeah. amassing things just to amass <laughs> them? That's you have become the person yeah. here that he's describing, uh. and he says, "I'll just add in one other thing. Let you take over." It, he says, "The Lord of Hosts hears this." He adds in this very important phrase here: "The Lord of Hosts." Who's the Lord of hosts? He's the God who's over everything, who has an innumerable army of angels around him, who has power for any possible thing he ever wants to do. He's the Lord of hosts. And so it's so dumb to think that we can amass anything like coming close to to what he has amassed in himself. And so this is how we set ourselves up against God, and ultimately there's a penalty coming. So let's go back to the original idea of crowd noise, right? Let me me bring this kind of home for us. If it is indeed the religious elite that he's speaking to, and it makes sense if this is the pastor in Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. and this is the first letter, and it's the baby brother of Jesus, that he would sound a lot like Jesus, Mm -hmm. right? Teaching the uh, the royal law, love your neighbor, and warning the religious. The same religious people that had, look at what James says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. Mm He did not resist you. Mm-hmm. Flip with me to Matthew 27. There was another, uh, there is another kind of crowd noise that these religious elite led. Mm-hmm. Matthew 27, 
Verse 15, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Mm -hmm. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, again, he's put himself in the place of judgment, his wife sent word to him, said, have nothing to do with this righteous man. James just said, you killed the righteous man. Mm. For I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd with their words to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor said, the, the governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release? And they said, Barabbas. Mm. It's easy to get caught up in the crowd noise. Pilate said to them, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And he was silent. Mm -hmm. Again, James says, our words say a lot about us. To the unbelieving world, our words will tell them, are we on the throne or do we bow before the throne? Mm -hmm. and, and today, the question before us is that question, are you trying to assume the throne or are you bowing before it? We sang a song, I hear my voice among the scoffers. That's the question for you today. Where are you? Are you on the throne or in front of the throne, on your face in humility saying, I, I don't deserve anything, mm -hmm. but, I, but I take what you give me, mm -hmm. Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, it's challenging for us to be in, in these words that James has spoken. And, and there's probably a lot of hard work that needs to be done in all of us. Uh, but God, your grace and your mercy triumphs over judgment. James has already told us that. So Jesus, I pray that whatever it is we need to bring before you, we would do it with open hands and just we would climb off of the throne. And we would acknowledge that it is our sin and our words and, and all the wickedness that we have done that put you on that cross. So God, I pray you do your work for the name, the fame, and the glory of the one lawgiver and judge. King Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.